there this morning at, at PV Bowl when the, the campers are, are heading out to Hume Lake. And I'm, I just... I just marvel at what God has done and continues to do with our youth and children here at the river. It just blows my mind. Like for the, the size of church we are, the, the, the number of students that are going up, it's just so disproportionately huge. It's crazy. And then the impact that this is having on the high schools. Uh, so anyway, I'm just blessed beyond means um, watching that. We're in First Peter, folks. It is not the beach service, which means it's not 4,000 degrees and humid. And so I've extended my sermon by at least 25 minutes to accommodate our nice surroundings. I'm kidding. It's the same length, but it's much more comfortable. And I want to start with this story. Um, I was a junior high, junior high pastor almost 20 years ago. Almost 20 years ago, I first started in a like, ministry official as a junior high pastor. And uh, I was with this church uh, from Manhattan Beach. We went to this conference, and we came back from the conference. And for some reason, my whole junior high pastor and high school pastor life, I was always kind of like the guy that you pranked. Like if there was a pool, I'm getting pushed into the pool. If there was like a whoopee cushion device, somehow it would be exercised on me. It was just kind of that thing. And once I studied jujitsu, it all stopped because now I, my whole body's a weapon and it's dangerous to mess with me. But at that time, it was, it was really, I was the guy. Uh, and we, we were on our way back from this conference somewhere in the middle of, I don't know. And we stopped at like one of those Mimi's Cafe or Denny's style restaurants, right? This was like early, this was like 2000, something like 2099. Um, and we, we stopped, we have our meals, it was delicious. And then, th- this is back when they had the dessert trays. Remember the dessert carts? They bring the dessert cart out, they wheeled it out. That's what it sounds like when a dessert cart. They wheel it out and we all pick our desserts. I'm like, oh man, I saw this cheesecake. And I'm like, that's the cheesecake I want. It was perfect. I'm talking about the whipped cream. I'm talking about this delicious, like, strawberry swirls. I'm talking like it must be a thousand calories. 10,000 calories, and I'm a like 19-year-old, so I can eat whatever I want at the time. And I'm like, I want that one. I'm so excited. And, and we're going about talking, and then my, my food comes out first, my cheesecake, and they set it down. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And no one else has their cheesecake yet. And they go, go ahead and take a bite. You know, they go, take a bite, James. I'm like, I'll take a bite, sure. And like, wait, 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 hold on. And like more people started coming over, and I was see a couple servers came over to the table. And I'm just like, I don't know what's happening, but it's good news because people are looking at me eating my delicious cheesecake. And so, so let's get a picture of you taking a bite of it. I'm like, all right, cool. So it was back in the day of the wind-up. Reek, 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 reek. Remember that? Um, and so they get ready. I take a big old, big old, like, forkful of this perfect-looking cheesecake. And I'm with whipped cream and deliciousness, I put it in my mouth. And it's like my taste buds go into an all-out revolt. Like full-on insubordination. They just go get this out of my mouth. It was like the most disgusting thing I had ever tasted. So it turns out they had somehow talked the manager into letting the server serve me the display cheesecake that was made of like lard. So yeah, so my body is still digesting it to this very day. 20 years later... We're praying for it to be out by 2030. We're talking about, this week, a passage that invites all of us in a world where appearance is easy to manipulate. Like, has it ever been easier to manipulate our 
image to the world. We have tools at our disposal. We have all kinds of filters and social media outlets, and we have like really affordable, cool-looking clothing and, and cars and all things that we can sort of conglomerate and make ourselves look a certain way. Has it ever been easier to project an image? I don't think so. I think it's pretty darn easy these days. Our passage today invites us as followers of Jesus to think about the taste test, to think about, okay, how do you look? What's the symmetry of your life? Is it bedazzled? Is it, is it smelling good? Fine, that's, that's all nice and good. Let's taste it. Let's take a bite of your life and say, what happens next? And that's what our passage invites us to. And I'll just do it as a little confessional. I was a kid, you know, I was born on a Tuesday in church on Sunday. Right? Like if you cut me, I bleed out church bulletins. They just come flying out at you. Just <laughs> bulletins. I am so, I was in this, con, I grew up in a conservative Baptist church tradition. If you don't know what, how many of you know what that means? Anyone know what that means? Okay, so you know what I'm talking about here. So I, I learned very early on the art and science of the churchianity aura how to present myself so that church people will like me. And, and it's like the old sayings, like, don't drink, cuss, or chew, or go with girls who do, right? If you want Jesus to love you, just follow that mantra in life. That was kind of like, that'll distinguish you as a Jesus person. And the way, what you laugh at, what you don't laugh at. What movies you see, what movies you don't see. What bands you listen to, what bands you don't listen to. What t-shirts you wear. What's on your bumper of your car? Like, there's all kinds of ways of presenting ourselves as, I'm Jesus boy. I follow Jesus. All these, these kind of external markers. And I learned those so well, and I still kind of have them mastered in my head. If you want to see me perform those, I'll cover my tattoos, and I will perform those. But this passage is actually, I think, waking all of us up out of the, pres- the pres- presentation mode of life and asking us to say, what is, the, what is the true flavor of your life? What is the actual ingredients, the core ingredients of a Jesus-shaped lifestyle, right? So I, I'm, I'm excited to unpack this with y'all. And first, Peter, as you may have noticed, those of you that have, you, it's vacation season, so you might have been here a couple times and missed a few. But first, Peter, thematically, it just meanders. The whole thing just kind of goes back and forth and back and forth, circulating through similar themes. It's like having a conversation with me. It's just kind of going all over the place and eventually landing somewhere similar to where it began. And you're wondering, why did I talk to this guy? And he spits when he talks a lot. So that's first Peter minus the spit. And we're in a part right now that is a moral exhortation portion of the letter. It means it's all about talking about how then we should live. I like to think of it like, a, like the, the family ethic, the family values. If you're in the family of God, here is how we do things under the roof of God. This is how we operate. Um, one dangerous note, one thing that I want to clear, clear up before we dive into the passage, is that whenever you treat or interact with moral exhortation sections of scripture, whenever you interact with those, it is so tempting to get a little exacto knife, right? Cut them out of the passage, pull them out, and preach them, and you get yourself a nice, hard-hitting sermon where you're just hitting on where y'all should be doing things better or differently, right? And that kind of preaches. Bums people out sometimes, but it preaches. What we have to remember is the moral exhortation portions of the letter that we're looking at today are part of a larger mosaic that the letter has, is presenting us. And the, the mosaic is like 
or the message is front-loaded with identity first and then out from that flows how then you should live. This is very important because I think this is one of the most mistaken, missed logical pieces as to how the scriptures are used in our world today. For example, if you go to your favorite sporting event and there's like banner dudes, right, with their little banner and the banner has on it all the terrible things that you're doing and why you, sh- you should know you're terrible and how much God's mad at you. You seen those guys? Like when I went to El Camino Junior College, every week the dudes would come out with the, they always had like, well, I won't describe their apparel, but it was frumpy and they had the big banner and they always were letting you know. Here's what's wrong with your world, your life. I was driving with my daughter on the 110 freeway one time, stuck in traffic, hot day, 110, and I hear this noise, and I'm like, what is that noise? Is someone yelling? And a dude had set up a blowhorn in the back window down, blowhorn set up, and he had a little headphone gadget so he could yell out moral exhortation parts of the scriptures to everyone who's already angry and feeling terrible on the 110 in the hot sun in traffic. And I'm like, my daughter goes, that, is he preaching Jesus? I think he's talking about Jesus. I'm like, he kind of is. But something had happened. He had taken the moral exhortation part of the scripture and zoomed in only on that, missing the larger tapestry that, that this was a part of. So I just don't want us to make that mistake because it's a very dangerous one. Just as a reminder, the first the two chapters before we've gotten to chapter three, I'm just going to list for you the identity language that has already been delivered. So this is who you are and that does not change. In this letter, whatever comes next, this is not in question to those who are followers of Jesus. A couple things. One, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, God's elect. That means ch- you were chosen out. God delighted in you. 1, 2, you are those with grace and peace in abundance. 1, 3, you are those with new birth into a living hope. 1, 4, you are those with an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 1, 5, you're described as those shielded by God's power. God has his arm over you, and he's standing in front of whatever is coming your way, going, nope, you're going to have to go through me first, and I'm God. So that's going to be interesting. One nine, you are those receiving the goal or the telos, the, the end result of your faith, which is salvation, salvation of your lives, your souls, your bodies. One you you're described, this is important language, probably the most important language, you are children of God. That is that is adoption language, children of God. 122, you're purified. This is not future tense or subjunctive tense. You might be purified if you keep the gymnastics God lays out for you well. You might be purified if you walk the, you play the game of moral operation and you don't make God's nose light up. You might be purified. No, it says you are purified if you're in Christ. You are adopted if you're in Christ. You are, 2 verse 5, a holy priesthood. You are, 2-9, a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession. That's already there. That does not change. That is not in danger of being lost or making God mad enough that he's like, I'm over you. A couple more. 2-10, you are the people of God. Another one in 2-10. You are those who has received mercy. 2-16, you are free people. Not the store that my wife loves, though they're blessed as well, I'm sure. But you are free people. You live in the freest of the free. And 225, you are sheep who have returned to their shepherd. That's a quick 
fire hose of information, but I just don't want you to miss when we get down into um, the moral exhortations. I don't want you to miss those identity pieces are going nowhere and they are not in jeopardy. Indeed, what we're about to hear, the moral exhortations, the family values flow out of who you are in Christ. So that logic has to be in place. Otherwise, it becomes a dangerous knife to stab, cut, or it becomes a brick in a backpack rather than a cup of cold water to a weary soul. Okay, so that's important. I have to, I have to tell myself and remind myself of that. So when we get to our actual passage, I'm not going to read the whole entire passage. Um, I'll invite you to explore it if you have not already, but I'm going to read some sections of it and summarize a few other sections. So starting in verse 8, let's put under the microscope a batch of ingredients to the Jesus-following life, a batch of ingredients. First of all, it says uh, this in in chapter uh, 3, verse 8. It says, finally, finally, all y'all, pantes, all y'all is what it says, just all y'alls, be like-minded, be sympathetic, be Love one another, be compassionate and humble. Each of those terms uh, is, is why I always encourage people, go learn Greek. Because it really helps you keep track of some of the symmetries and some of the, um, some of the pictures that the, the writer is painting here. But some really beautiful lines come out of this. So finally, all y'all, verse 8, be like-minded. Or some have translated, have unity of spirit. It's from this Greek term, homophrones, which literally means be thinking the same thing. Be thinking the same thing together. You are, in some sense, this symphony of agreement on the things that matter the most. And not allowing these peripheral things to sneak into that and sow seeds of disagreement and discord, but rather be in such agreement on those things which are ultimate. And then the second instruction, be unity of spirit, and then be sympathetic. It's so cool because the first line, homophrones, which is think the same thing, then sympathes. It literally means feel the same things. So think the same things together and feel the same things together. That's beautiful symmetry right there. That's a community. Notice these are all communal exhortations. These are hard to do alone in a pillar in the desert waiting for God to transform you. Now, there's a place for solitude. We'll have a sermon on that somewhere. There's a place for getting alone, getting away. Jesus did it a lot. But I want you to see the primary arena, the primary stage of the Christ-following life is in your network of relationships. That's where sort of the taste of your life is experienced and played out. And as Bill mentioned last week, that's where the glory of God shines forth when it's tasted and seen that it's good. So here, have unity of spirit, have sympathy or or feel together, together feeling. Some have translated it kind of an old English sound, fellow feeling. Um, Love one another, Philadelphoy. This is a great term. Uh, We've already encountered it in this letter, I believe. And it's sibling love. It's family love. This isn't just pleasantries and shake a friend's hand and move on, but it's actually caring like you care for a family. And then have a tender heart Oh, my goodness, this one's a fun one to say and, and an important text. You splachnoi. You splachnoi. It's this really great term that literally means like to move in the bowels or have a movement. In, not, not that kind of movement, but this move, like the butterfly in the stomach or that some, this guttural, visceral moving 
Your heart is moved when you see something that is breaking it. Oftentimes, Jesus, when he encounters someone who's suffering or a crowd that's hungry and alone, he, he experiences this feeling and it moves him to do something. And it says when Jesus saw the crowd and had compassion on them. That's the term. So you're noticing all these instructions are like Jesus-shaped. It's, it's outlining a Jesus-shaped life, or to keep our little metaphor, Jesus-flavored life. And the last one is so important. And have a humble mind. Tapenophrones. A humble mind. That is a mind that, like Jesus, radically like Jesus, has others in mind. Has the welfare and the good things for others before ourselves. I don't know about you, but, but I am kind of selfish. I typically have to fight off. Like when there's that last piece of pie or there's that show and you and your wife are talking through which Netflix show you want to watch, right? Say, I want to figure out how do I get my thing on? How can I convince her to watch Die Hard with me? I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. And and that selfishness kind of picks up. And that happens in life. And we've gotten good. I've gotten good in life at calling my selfishness other things. Well, I deserve it because I worked hard or it's it's only fair that I get blah, blah, blah. The, the tapeno frones life, the life that is humble-minded, is a life walking around going, how am I going to bring a blessing and care and lift someone else up? How am I going to make sure their name's higher on the marquee than my name? And it's beautiful. There's so much to go in there. I have a whole chapter in my dissertation on that. So if you're having trouble sleeping at night, check out my dissertation. It'll help you powerfully. And you'll learn a lot about tapenofrones or tapenofrosune. So these, this first batch of ingredients, I just wanted you to kind of see and, and think through um, the, 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 the shape and taste of the community that is radically following Jesus. Then there's a second core ingredient that it turns to in verse 9. And this one's actually, I think, uh, this is really the proof is in the pudding kind of uh, in lifestyle. It's essentially saying, how do you respond when you've been slighted, insulted, or wronged? I mean, that's the hardest part. Because when I check, when I'm going to LAX, right, I'm cruising in, and I'm like, okay, a little traffic on the way in. That's all right. I make a few grumpy complaints about, like, infrastructure in LA. And then I finally get into LAX, and I'm feeling good. I'm walking my roller bag. And I'm like, I could be gracious. Bless you, brother. Bless you, sister. Bless you. Praying for you. I don't do that when I'm in LAX, but that's how I'm feeling, right? And things are going so good until there's a problem. I've been given bad information by the, by the airline or I've forgotten something or I have to give my delightful Trader Joe's lotion over to them because I have too many ounces, right? And things are starting to get a little angry. I'm starting to feel like, what? No, this is crazy, right? Now, now all of a sudden, the real ingredients kind of churn up to the surface, right? You're starting to see, what are you made of? What are the key ingredients in your life? When you're going through and relationships are going good and suddenly someone hurts you intentionally, unintentionally, all of a sudden, that chipper outer crust, you know, strawberry flavored delightfulness, suddenly whatever's at the core of you starts coming out and we're going to see exactly who we're dealing with. I always said that if I was like a quirky CEO, I'd go to lunches with whoever the executives I'm hiring, I'd watch how they treat the servers. And I have the servers screw something up. I'm like, here, I'll give you 20 bucks, screw up their order. I'll give you 100 bucks. I'm a quirky CEO. I'll give you $1,000. Screw up their order. I want to see how they respond to it. I want to watch. And I'm not going to be there for it. I just want to see what's inside you, what's in the guts of you. Right? That's an important piece right there. So 
Here it says this, verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, mind your own business. That's not what it says. Let me read that again. Do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, keep your hands to yourself and move about your life. No, it doesn't say that. What What we're about to read is not... If you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's actually not the Jesus-shaped instruction. It's good advice generally, but watch where Jesus takes it in the scriptures. Or watch where the, the scriptures take it. Don't repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with a blessing. Like when you taste like Jesus, you change the temperature in rooms. You bring Jesus into that place. And what bubbles up from deep within you is this delightful aroma of blessing. You're not afraid of being infected by the negative vibes and the hatred and the racism and the discrimination that you see in your context. You're not afraid of being wronged because you're following Jesus and you're saying, I'm going to bring blessing. I'm going to bring the opposite of what I'm getting. Now, this is at the heart of a Jesus-following ethic. And this is the part where the bumper stickers and listening only to DC Talk, which is a great band when I was in, in the 90s, and, um, and learning the Christianese lingo, this is the part where that does not get you there. You fall straight off the pier on this one. Because when you are following Jesus, you're asking, not only how can I be humble in this situation, but how am I going to bring blessing here? It doesn't mean you're chipper taking Christian Prozac pills like, I feel great even though that person spit on me or that person made fun of me or embarrassed me. No, but it means I know what, what, what's going to happen next. And it's going to be, I'm going to swallow my pride and I'm going to seek the welfare of this person, even this person. And, and then it gives a, uh, a psalm, a quote from Psalm 34, which I won't read the whole thing to you. But essentially the psalm is reminding the audience, here's why you can bless when you're cursed. Here's why when someone hits you in their car and it's clearly their fault and then they lie on to the insurance companies and now it's an arbitration and your deductible's gone. By the way, that's a very real experience I'm experiencing. When that happens, why is it that you can say, I'm not going to burn down the house? I'm not going to just sue everyone I can sue and make sure I am seen as just and right and vindicated. Why is it I can actually bring blessing and I can let that stuff go? Here's why. It says, uh, verse 12, quoting Psalm uh, 34, 16, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, it is our God who perfectly knows and judges and has not forgotten your problem that will bring justice. So because it's in his hands, I don't have to dig up the soil and make it happen for myself. I can trust him with an open hand going, Lord, I'm going to be wise in this situation, but I'm going to bless. And I'm going to unclench my fists and let this go. Trusting you the whole way, Lord. Now that's hard and that does get radical. And there's a million yeah buts that we could attach to this passage. We could attach a bunch of footnotes explaining why it's okay that we can in righteousness seek after justice to vindicate ourselves. But notice when the curse comes, we bring a blessing back. That's radical stuff. Even my podium's shaking with excitement over that truth. And then the last piece of the passage I'm going to focus on today, 15 and 16 
And it's, again, in the context of a, ho- a world that's hostile to the Jesus movement. Our culture in the U.S., I think we have a outrage machine that we've developed as Christians where we just think we're being persecuted and ground is being taken and it's a war on Christmas and we're always like trying to figure out how we're being persecuted. I just want to invite all of us, you know, think through and pray through. Talk to Matt Stott after the service who works with in the Muslim world. Talk to him about Bangladesh. Talk to him about following Jesus in Egypt. Talk to him about Saudi Arabia as a follower of Christ. And we'll talk about persecution. We'll talk about losing jobs, losing honor. We'll talk about losing Sometimes our lives in the name of Jesus. That's persecution. Our ancestors in the faith at the time this letter is written are a vast, vast minority, like 0.01% of the population maybe. All right? And so there are a lot of folks looking at them going, you, you, you believe in only one God and you worship a deity that became human and Jewish and died on a Roman cross in the East? You're crazy. You're shameful. That's immoral. And so they're facing a lot of heat. And there's advice given to them as to how you handle that. First of all, you bring blessing back when they bring cursing. And then it says, verse 15, but in your hearts, set Christ as Lord. Just put him in the center of your heart saying, he is Lord. He is on the throne. He is in charge. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to let people know why you are just bursting forth with hope. Isn't that interesting? It's, it assumes that people look at you as a hopeful person. It assumes people are actually going to go, why do you hope so much? Why are you so optimistic? Haven't you read all the news outlets? Everything's terrible. We get good news on the economy, and the first thing every news is doing is, yeah, but it could fall out tomorrow. Right? We're just reminding ourselves how terrible our world is. Every second, how is it you're so darn hopeful? And you look at L.A. with bright-eyed optimism, knowing that God is pursuing Los Angeles, California. How is that possible? Be ready to answer them. Give them an answer. It says this, but do it with gentleness. Proutetos, it's a good term Jesus used for himself. I am gentle and humble in heart. And do it with reverence. Keep your conscience good so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good lifestyle, it's, it's a great term, that doesn't mean your good behavior. Some translations call it behavior. I feel like I could hold a certain kind of behavior for an hour without breaking. But you look at my whole life, that'll tell you the story, right? It says for your lifestyle, when they look at the arc story of your life, then they're going to be ashamed of what they've said about you. They're going to be like, wow, I want to dis- discredit Jesus, I want to discredit the Jesus movement. I want to call you just fundamentalist um, haters. But I looked at your life and you don't hate. You abound with hope. You actually do what you say you believe. And I can't get around you. It's this is how we bring an answer to those who have a question about what we believe. And now this is a great text that's used often in like, if you know the term apologetics, anyone know what apologetics, heard that term before, yeah, apologetics. It's a good term, a good verse that's used as a proof text. And I love, you know, I love the world of the intellect, the world of the mind. It's something I enjoy. But we have to recognize that the answer we bring for why we believe what we believe, it's not less than intellectual because it needs to be have some good rigor to it. It's not less than a good um, historical Reasoning, but it's so much more than that. It is, the, it is what is written in our lives. 
that's going to really sing over those who have questions about what it is we do. It's going to be like, whoa, I'd love to get around you, but I can't. And my friends, the South Bay is starving for Jesus-shaped lives. The South Bay is starving for authentic Jesus-shaped lives lives. I believe that with all of my heart. The South Bay has had tons of rhetoric, tons of platitudes, good Christian platitudes. The South Bay has had plenty of culture warriors that have come out and said, we're going to take ground back politically, socially, culturally for Jesus. We're going to plant our flag and throw our holy hand grenades at you. Holy hand grenades. Anyone get that reference? No, no. Monty Python. Okay. The South Bay's had enough of that. I think what the South Bay needs is to taste and see that God is good, that God is love, that God abounds with hope. The South Bay needs a community of uh, infectious people that are going to see someone who has screwed their lives up all on their own. And that's going to come and lift their chin and say, I want to tell you about some hope. I want to show you, Jesus, come, come and hang out. Come to dinner. Let's, 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 let's talk about this Jesus I serve. The world is thirsting for authentic Jesus-following lifestyles of love. There's too much talk. There's too much yelling. There's too much clamor online, in the media, on the street corners. There's so much noise out there. It's getting lost in this cacophony of, of, of violent rhetoric that what the world needs is to go, I'm sick of tell, hearing how good it is. I need to taste it. And that doesn't mean it needs a bunch of fake people, right, walking around going, ah, it's all good. Yep, just got a bad diagnosis from the doctor, but praise be God. No, it's people that are authentically processing whatever they're going through, as our scriptures invite us to do, highs, lows, middles, to go, Lord, here I am. I'm angry. I'm not sure what's going on. I love Jazz's prayer where he goes, God, you know, sometimes we love you to do things a little differently. That's an honest prayer. God delights in that because God knows it. The world needs this. They're hungry for it. Christianity in the U.S., I'm just going to say, I've been around it a long time. I feel like I could speak into it, and I'm part of the problem, too. We are obsessed with numbers. We really are. We love big, fat numbers. We like butts and seats. And we often measure how Jesus is doing based on butts and seats. We come sometimes measured by political power gain. And these are all signs that are so secondary and tertiary. The taste test, now that's where it's at. How does it taste, the Jesus following life taste, then when those looking over the fence at Jesus, when those who are just kind of inspecting our backyard going, what is this thing all about? Some of you might be in here right now doing that exact thing and and you are welcome to it. And I hope what you see is beautiful. But those that actually see lives lived out, the long story, that's captivating. He'll hate that I say this, but my dear friend Ed Lasseter sitting right there. Ed Lasseter is a man who you watch and see and you, you, the glory of God is on display in his life. I mean, that is a better answer than the Kalam cosmological argument for the existence of God or the phenomenological argumentation or transcendental argument for the existence of God. All those are nice and fancy, but I'm telling you, you get lunch with Ed Lasseter, you're going to have to walk away thinking about Jesus and going, dang it. I thought I could write this stuff off, but I just can't get around that life. And that is why I think this whole text is leading us to consider not arguments won, not political ground taken, not butts in chairs on Sunday, but lives that are attractively displaying God's grace, love, unity, beauty, the long story of your life, not the quick fits of energy you get when you're feeling good, but the deep, rooted, rich, long story. I want to tell two stories like close off. 
um, of some lives I've beheld and seen. And I could talk about this individual, especially because he's not here right now. But Matt Engel, Matt Engel, I don't know if many of you know this, but he was, I was his youth pastor way back in the day. So when I was first a high school pastor, he was a senior in high school. I was 20, he was 18. It was kind of this awkward age proximity. We were very close to each other in age. But Matt Engel, um, he's, I think, the greatest youth pastor that I've ever interacted with or known. That's just, I'm not saying that because he's our youth pastor. I'm saying that because I believe it with all my heart. Yeah, let's give some Matt Engel love. And yet he's, you know, the most humble dude in the world. When he was a senior in high school, some of you know this, some of you don't, he was a phenom football player. Like all South Bay, he was the, by far and wide, the best South Bay football player and probably one of the best in Los Angeles and California. He was in like every newspaper, every week, there was another article or highlight about him. He was in Los Angeles Times. There were all these like these magazines doing spreads on him. You go to one of his games and like there were scouts and all these crazy people and the, the, the place was packed. He was on special teams, offense, defense, just everything. And I don't, I'm not a sports guy so I don't know what's happening on the field. I just know there's a lot of chanting his name, a lot of cheers. And so being a senior in high school with that behind you, that power, he could have he could have used that for so many different things. He really could have. There were plenty of people that wanted to hang out with Matt Engel. I'm telling you, plenty of just great-looking, powerful, connected, wonderful high school students that would love to hang out with him. Every Sunday morning, we would have to reserve almost like three rows because he would just bring this entourage with him. And the entourage was a sight to behold because it wasn't just the coolest, biggest, most athletic kids. Oh, yeah, there were some there for sure. There were people like, I don't know why I'm going to church, but Matt Engel's there, I'll go, right? But there were kids there that, that were very awkward, that I promised were probably eating alone a lot at school, that would not be invited many places. And he goes, hey, come with me. Let's hang out. Just an other-focused, Jesus-shaped life. And it's the long story of his life. It's not the fact that we got like 300 and, no, 300. I'm a preacher, so I always got to add numbers to things. We got 130 students going to camp, and it's like, Matt, that's amazing, the most, biggest number we've ever had at the River Church. Praise God. That's awesome. That stuff excites me, sure. But it's the long story of his life. One more story. Um, of, of, I've seen this a few times in my career as youth, working with youth and adults, but Theo Windorf. Y'all know Theo. How many of y'all know Theo? You know some Theo Windorf, right? Theo Windorf, one of these kids that, like, he's senior class president, He's got his green bus cruising around, and you always see it and can tell, like, there goes Theo. Everyone knows him, just like the mayor of Palos Verdes in his time, right, in his day. Now he's up at Slow, probably working his campaign out there. Theo was one of the most sought-after kids. And I'll never forget, again, in high school, that kind of power is just like you don't get it much in life after that, unless you're a celebrity or something. And I'm at his birthday party with Todd, and we're barbecuing. We actually had like a grease fire breakout for a little bit. I don't know if you knew that, Denise, but there's a full grease fire we had to deal with. Um, and I'm at this party, and it's like massive people are coming through, tons of kids. And I'm looking at the kids that are invited to his birthday party, this powerful young man. And like some of the kids are like, yep, I expect a kid like that to come to the senior class president's, uh, ASB president's lunch or, or barbecue. And then you see these other kids. There were some kids there that I promise this was probably the only party they have been invited to the entire year. The rest of their nights were spent playing video games or watching TV alone, wondering what these things were like. And yet Theo is just gone. Come one, come all. 
and like not just tolerating them, but like embracing them. And Jazz, you know what I'm talking about. Jazz saw it too. And I just look at this. These are examples to me that it's so doable. And that message speaks so much louder than any sermon I'm going to give or any answer I'm going to provide from you from a philosopher's textbook. And there's a lot of great ones. And I just think when we consider this text, what it's inviting us into, I want to underscore one more time before we turn to community. Communion. The world is just sick of fake ingredients. I'm sick of fake ingredients. And I bring a lot of them to the table. Right? We all are going to screw up. This is not a message of like, so today, go home, do better. God's watching. Right? That is not the the heart of this message. Here's what the heart of it is. We're all going to screw up. I sin, you sin. You probably sin more than I do because I'm a pastor. Right? No. Probably get double. I get like three extra sins from God every week because I'm a pastor. No, that's not true either. Um, We're all going to screw up in life. That's going to happen. And we give that to God. Lord, I was stupid of me. I lost it there. I'm just thankful for your forgiveness, Lord. Here I am. But there are certain places where we build little tree houses for our sin, right? We kind of construct one. I'm going to build a little bitterness tree house because I've been wronged. I'm going to build it out. It'll be small. You won't really notice it. But I'm going to let it sit there. And it's just going to sit, and it won't be a big deal. Once in a while, you Febreze it. Or little closets of sin that we build. Like, I'm in a little, little greed closet. Just my little greed closet where I go, that's mine. That's my stuff. It's mine, and you ain't going to take it. It's mine. And you just kind of build that tree as you let it sit. And those are the areas I want to encourage all of us as we move up to communion and as we go about our week. I want you to, some of you to say, you need to burn down. You need to, in the Holy Spirit fire, burn down one of those tree houses. And just let that thing go. Give it to the Lord. And as sins come, they're going to come. You go, Lord, here, here I am. Forgiveness. But where those places have been built, that's where our ingredients get infected. And what we taste like is this mix of good and disgusting. And no one wants that. And God's glory is muted. But when we give him the whole of who we are, it's on display. And that's the point. So... We're turning now to the table and remembering what the part of the passage I didn't preach on um, reminds us that you think you suffered. Jesus suffered so greatly for us. He's been there. He's been through this. He understands. And he suffered because of those sins. So we can burn down that tree house and not let that any longer separate us from the goodness of God. And so as we turn to communion... Um, We remember the body of Jesus broken for our sin. The blood poured out for us, not, not for himself. And we worship. Uh, And also, don't forget to grab. Yeah, come on up, worship band. And don't forget to uh, to grab a a name out of this bucket, a name or two, and be praying for those students and leaders that are going up to the sequoias, up to Hume Lake, um, to hopefully taste and see that God is good. So I'm gonna pray and then. We'll do some worship and Lord, thank you. Thank you that, um, Lord, whatever the flavoring of my life is, Lord, that it's not, it's not stuck sour or fake. But Lord, I can today, your mercies are new every morning. I can open up and say, Lord, here I am. Renovate. Fix. Heal. Restore. Thank you that you delight in us, that we are your children, if we are in Christ, because of his sacrifice. We worship you now, we remember now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.